Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. We continue with Season 8 where we are looking at films based on books. And for today's episode we're going to look at one of the most famous ones dating back all the way back to 1971 where this film lets children's imaginations run wild. It's the Roald Dahl adaptation Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Directed by Mel Stewart and starring Gene Wilder, Peter Ostrom, Jack Albertson and Julie Dawn Cole. Every 90s baby read this book and every adult before and now after that decade have surely heard of it, seen the film, read the book or know the songs from the film. Either way, terms like Oompa Loompa and Willy Wonka resonate a happy memory of extraordinary achievement and storytelling that reached a peak of imagination. And behind that was the Welsh-born author, one of the most famous authors known across the globe, Mr. Roald Dahl. I don't know if it's because I'm getting old now, but I still find it quite fascinating that I was alive when Mr. Roald Dahl was. Merely for a matter of months, however. I was born in 1989 and Roald Dahl died sometime in early 1990. I think he died three months before the release of The Witches, so he never saw it, but I'm sure he would have loved it. The same, however, cannot be said when Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory came out. Based on a book that came out in 1964 called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, seven years before the film called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Why the change in the title from Willy Wonka to Charlie? Well, one of the producers wanted to build a main attraction around Gene Wilder, and two, well, this film was financed by Quaker Oats and were releasing a chocolate bar called Willy Wonka Bars. And so they changed the title. Charlie Bucket's Wonka Bars didn't really have the same ring to it, and plus... That's what they're called in the books anyway. So they stuck to Willy Wonka and they tried to, you know, sell chocolate bars at the same time. Didn't go so well, apparently. With most adaptations to great works of literature, there is always the invitation of conflict and scratching heads, much like the famous feud between Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King over The Shining. However, time and time again, we have to throw out the etiquette of the principle that the book will be always superior to the film. Once or twice in the pages of history, we are surprised to see films that outdo what the book could never do. And that is to reimagine the story into something easier on the eyes for the big screen, despite its deviation from the source novel. The Shining was definitely one. In fact, most of Stephen King's adaptations are. I mean, I think it's understandable we couldn't have a massive orgy involving kids in the movie version of It. But usually the reason are as clear as day, like the blunt example in it, or not so much, and we have to trust the artistic choice made by the producers and directors. In this case, Mel Stewart, who followed in Kubrick's footsteps and gave us something maybe better than the original source novel done by Roald Dahl. The book actually had a sequel the year after called Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, but was never made into a film simply for the fact that Roald Dahl didn't sell the rights after the disappointment of the film Mel Stewart did. Well, the book was actually dedicated to his only son called Theo. He suffered a brain injury when he was in a baby carriage and he was struck by a taxi. He was just four months old. The most serious injury was something called hydrocephalus, which is water in the brain. Immediately after, Dahl got together with friends who were engineers and neurosurgeons and they created a device called the Wade-Dahl Till Valve to reduce cranial pressure. His son Theo recovered before they perfected the device, but it did allow thousands of others to recover from similar injuries, which is quite cool, actually. So I understand why a book dedicated to his son that almost died was changed drastically would have pissed him off quite a bit. He said the film made the world he wrote about it too peaceful to his personality. 
Roald Dahl is a very unique author who usually has his main characters as children. He has a thing for gluttonous characters like Augustus Gloop in this, Bruno Jenkins from The Witches, Bogus from Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Bruce Bogtrotter from Matilda. Understandably, though, going from the juxtaposition, the villains are usually adults who hate children and are extremely over-the-top pantomime ugly as well. He is said to be very bored, Roald Dahl, in the company of other adults. He was absolutely, he didn't care about adults. He was so fascinated with children and the thoughts of children which reflected into his works. His story or the world of his stories, the diegetic world of the narratives are fascinating. They are believable enough to be shocking, but at the end of the day, it's all fantasy. The line for reality is just slightly risen in his books, not too far-fetched, but just raised a little higher. And that's where Roald Dahl operates, something no other author has really done. You have fantasy like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, and then you don't. Roald Dahl manages to create a world just in between those two kind of worlds. Wes Anderson is someone that makes his film in that space of reality. He even remade one of Roald Dahl's work, Fantastic Mr. Fox, with an all-star studded voice cast, usually the usual suspects, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, but for the first time used collaborator George Clooney as the title character. Anyway, let's take a little deep dive into Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, probably one of the most iconic roles in Hollywood history that matches the like of James Bond and Batman. Willy Wonka played twice in an adapted film from Gene Wilder and then Johnny Depp. Many critics have called Gene Wilder's performance as Willy Wonka ridiculously perfect, and you would have to agree with it. He just made magic happen. He got the tone, the mannerism, the delivery, everything was 100% effective, effortless, and just the way Gene Wilder brought Willy Wonka to life, it was amazing. Many actors could try, but it's just a role I think is irreplaceable. I honestly believe the movie supersedes the book simply because of Gene Wilder, and that is an enormous compliment. Sometimes all it takes is a great performance, just like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. The film was carved around him using Roald Dahl's idea, and that's all the film really actually did. Gene Wilder is actually probably the only famous actor in this movie. You know, actors that people would recognise just from looking at the poster. Saying that, though, Jack Albertson, who plays Grandpa Joe in this movie, was actually coming hot off an Oscar win uh, when he came into this movie. I think it was for the subject was Roses. So he was pretty much, I mean, equally, you know, recognisable at that time if, you know, you, you were cinephiles or just a fan of Jack Albertson. I also found out that Jack Albertson did the voice of The Fox um in the fox and, uh, no not the fox the hunter and fox and the hound which is actually pretty interesting but yeah arguably he was more accomplished than gene wilder because gene wilder never won an oscar and he did so he's more of a household name and a more of established name if anything but i mean gene wilder i mean i think he was carried from mel brooks and then made a you know name of his own i think this movie is pretty much his sort of peak movie i don't think he ever excelled after this some would say maybe blazing saddles but i think this is the role that he made famous and him in, in reversibly made him famous as well i believe they have timothy Chalamet taking a stab at the new iconic role of willy wonka in the new movie i'm always intrigued to see anyone try but let's be honest they are fighting against the current here when he was offered the role of Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder said he would do it on one condition, and that condition was that he'd give his character a limp 
and then out of nowhere do a somersault to confuse and also dictate his personality later to the audience, which I thought was a great touch. The producers smiled and agreed, and that is the first thing we see when we see Gene Wilder. And he's almost, I think the first time we see Willy Wonka is almost 45 minutes into the movie, which is the first time we see him, which is a big build-up for the title character. I love it when they do that. It's the perfect way to introduce a great character, kind of like they do in the Bond movies, like Javier Bardem in uh, Skyfall. You don't see him for at least an hour into the movie. It's a great introduction, a good build-up. You're always aware, always from the advertisements, you've got a big character who doesn't arrive until later. It's always the best way of doing it. But according to director Mel Stewart, Pure Imagination, The Making of Willy Wonka, it's a great documentary, you should watch it. When Gene Wilder walked into the audition, Stewart knew before he'd even utter a single word that he found his Willy Wonka. They went through thousands of actors and they said, I knew it the second I saw Gene Wilder walk through the door. The audition convinced him even further as well when Gene Wilder finished. Then he left the room and Mel Stewart chased him down the hallway, cut him off at the elevator bank, grabbed his arm and told him, you're doing this picture. No two ways about it. You are Willy Wonka. And the producer, I think it was David L. Wolper at the time, was furious at Mel Stewart. He's like, because they hadn't negotiated a fee yet. So literally, <laughs> they had to have him. And Gene Wilder could literally say, well, I want $10 million for this role. And they had to cast him. So it was, you know, interesting. The, the ball was in his courts, really. But there is a lot of um, ambiguity about some things in the film. One is, where is the setting for this movie? If I ask someone, where is this film set? I mean, not many people know it. And it's not really mentioned in either the book or the uh, the film. I mean, well, I don't believe it's ever mentioned where this chocolate factory is, but we have to assume it's in America somewhere. The film was actually shot in Germany, and I think it was a lot... Sh- I think it was near Munich they were shooting it. And Mel Stewart said it was, you know, it had that sort of storybook quality to it in Munich. He didn't want it anywhere in America because you could tell it was America. But if you had it somewhere like in Europe, you you might sort of nitpick about where it could be. And that's exactly what the effect is for that scene or, or the whole movie. And all the Oompa-Limpas were German as well, hence why they struggled with the songs and the movies. So if you really carefully look at their lips, they're not actually singing it properly. So and that's why as well. Um, but yeah. And there's another thing a lot of people mention, even to this day, is how did five children win those tickets? And no adults or teenagers or old people, all children roughly around the same age. Well, there is a plot here that may or may have been left out, and that's why. However, never speculated in the book, Mel Stewart, the director, wants to explain this and go with the reason that Willy Wonka had deliberately planted these tickets for certain people to find. The idea was that the Oompa Loompa had secretly reconned and planted them and knew which kind of child to target. And that would explain why Slugworth was always present when a golden ticket was found. But in the end, the producers didn't like it. It was like there was too much of a story there and they had to scratch the entire thing and they just left it ambiguous. Also, all the children from uh, the, you know, the ones that win the five golden tickets you know, are around the world or, you know, countries besides Charlie's, who is merely a few streets down from the factory, which causes speculation that Willy Wonka had his eye on Charlie from the very beginning and possibly spies on him without him knowing. And he knew he would be the perfect person to take over, someone pure and loving, which is why Charlie lives so close to the chocolate factory and which is why Charlie wins a golden ticket. I mean, I didn't even think about it until much later on, but that's the beauty of rewatching movies. You notice different things. It's also a weird thing that I totally forgot that this film is technically a musical. The singing is like spoken dialogue to me. Mel Stewart didn't want the film to be a musical in the first place. Instead, just trying to stay true to the book. But producers were saying that Wizard of Oz and Mary Poppins, which just came out, made a fortune. So we should follow in the same footsteps. 
The film, however, didn't do that great at the box office. The budget for the film was like $3 million, which is quite a bit at the time as well. And it barely made half a million on a global scale. It wasn't until rentals really took off in the 80s did this film become massively popular again, and usually for one reason. And it was Gene Wilder's performance as Willy Wonka. I mean, I mean the, he just nailed that role. I mean, he is just Willy Wonka. You just can't say anything about it. It's like saying Pierce Brosnan and James Bond. That's it. I mean, he had a blueprint on how to do it. And, they, you know, they, he put the meat to the bones of this character that was being developed in, you know, pre-production and, of course, sort of just finding out what Roald Dahl was trying to get out of this character. A lot of things he does in this movie is something he would ask the director he could do. I mean, he speaks English, Italian, Hungarian, French. He recites so many famous lines of Shakespeare. His witty remarks, his sarcasm. It was just a home run. And it was only due to sort of Gene Wilder saying, can I do this? Can I do that? I think it'll be good idea if we do this and i think that's what makes a great character and i think it just worked and sometimes it doesn't but this one it did now the scene at the end where he yells at grandpa joe and charlie during rehearsals he would be massively holding back say just whispering the lines just even saying the lines he wouldn't be shouting he'd just be you know gritting his eyes but he wouldn't be you know elevating his voice at any point but when they filmed the first scene he just unloaded at them screamed at them and he just simply did this for the fact of getting the proper genuine reactions and this was the genius to his craft the unfolding of willy wonka as a person and the first take he did is the one in the movie right now and that's why they look completely like whoa christ what's he doing because he's generally shouting and he no one told them to shout so they wanted him to be this sort of like father figure to charlie it's the whole reason they deviate from the book because in the book he um charlie's father is actually very much alive and i think he's like a toothbrush salesman which they look into in the tim burton film but in this film they decided to kill him off because they wanted willy wonka as the main father figure and the star of the movie as well they actually asked gene wilder what he thought of the tim burton movie and he said he liked johnny depp in it but he hated the film he said the world tim burton gave it was just not great he just said it's he's sick of remakes anyway and it should just be left alone Ironically, though, there is an argument that Gene Wilder's version of Willy Wonka is a lot darker than Johnny Depp's one is. I mean, Johnny Depp goes for that creepy Michael Jackson-esque way, whereas Gene Wilder is a man simply being blunt and almost sociopathic as well. There is a good reason assumption that his plan is to eliminate these kids by harming them and doesn't care about their well-being, which is kind of macabre, but still may be true. Besides Charlie, of course, which is exactly where I say that Roald Dahl operates in this heightened line of reality where the world is accepting of these kind of things. Kind of like how in Matilda, Miss Trunchable can harm children and throw them into the chokey, and yet no children or parents or officials do anything about it. It's that world where everything seems normal, like they go to school, whereas there's that explosive world of Roald Dahl that breaks through ever so slightly, and that's what i was talking about earlier that's where he operates that's where wes anderson operates you have like these normal storylines like the grand budapest hotel or uh moonrise kingdom and then you have these really obscure scenes like the treehouse being like 50 foot high and i love that kind of stylized way of shooting narrative it's great um but if you look at it carefully again i mean Again, something you'd notice after watching it a few more times is that the transportation in the factory gets progressively smaller as more and more children are eliminated. So, you know, at the start, they go on a boat and then they go on this random like wheel thing. And this has led some viewers to suspect that Willy Wonka purposefully allowed four of the five children to get hurt so he could have only one remaining children for them to be his heir. So he's anticipated that these children are going to get lost or get hurt, and he's allowing it, basically. 
I think on the surface of the book and the film, Roald Dahl's message is fairly simple, and that is it's basically that good children are rewarded and bad children are punished, both to the extreme lengths in this movie. Inheriting a chocolate factory and wealth from poverty in the other end of the stick to be killed, incinerated, blown up, shrunk down, or simply drowning in a chocolate river, which begs the question, is Willy Wonka meant to be a good guy? Is this man as good as we remember? We don't know. The older we get when we return to old films like these, we start to see things a little differently, and the character of Gene Wilder famously play offers a lot of interpretations about who Willy Wonka really is. The movie, as we remember, is the poor prevail and the snobby, rich, greedy, self-righteous children get punished. As much as we understand their fate, we are sugarcoated with music and chocolate, even though we have a question in our head like, wait a second, is Violet now dead? Is Augustus going to be okay? Because honestly, we don't care. We move on as nonchalant as Willy Wonka does. The other messages you could even look at is slave labour, something we battered an eyelid to because of the musics and colours and this generic story of children. The message isn't even exactly hidden either, it's right there on our faces, but we choose to just be captured by this magical chocolate factory. The Oompa Loompas are described as little colour people from an exotic part of the world that are no taller than your knees. I mean, there is a slavery reference in there. In the Tim Burton film, they are of Asian descent, confirming this exotic term used in the 70s movie. Now, I'm not trying to criticise here. I'm simply here to illustrate that as time does its thing with movies, it also differs and gives you an interesting perspective to it as well that you probably didn't notice at the start. Now, it's very common during the time of slavery, even in the 20s, when they showed a black actor playing a slave, he was always smiling and dancing and happy to be picking cotton or doing some hard labour because they wanted to show this dark side of history as a positive thing. And so for 30 years in the film industry, they would constantly show black actors always smiling and happy when playing a slave because it was normal. It was OK. We can accept it now which was pretty much the only roles that were, they were playing in the 1950s, and this film isn't really any different. These Oompa Loompas, whatever they might be, wherever they might come from, where they come from is a stupidly accurate metaphor for slavery run from the white guy who has them do all the work from miners and simply instructs instructions from a man selling the products they're working on. In this case, it's not cotton, but it's chocolate. I mean, it is certainly something to think about when revisiting the films we love. And this film actually has aged well. Very, you know, very nostalgic, very vibrant. The for the performances are outstanding, but there is always something intentional or not that seems to show the film in a new light that may have a darker than it was originally was a darker theme, despite our awareness to it. Now, our awareness was probably already there. We just didn't want to accept it. Now, as we get older, we may just start to see, wait a sec, is Willy Wonka a nice guy or is he not? Because he's technically hired the Impalumpus as slaves and he's technically killing children and he doesn't care and he's aware of what he's doing. And he's just hired another white kid to run his factory to own this Oompa Loompa land. It's a very far-fetched idea, but it's hard not to sort of look into these obvious metaphors that may or may not be intentional by the movie or the book. Who knows? But anyways, that's all I have time for with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Truly a classic and still a masterpiece. 
Time has done its thing and it still is a great film. The songs, the Oompa Loompas, the children, and they just want to try and beat this performance of Gene Wilder and they're not going to stop until they get it completely right. It's how they do it with James Bond. It's how they do it with most remakes now. They're just trying to better off the original. They tried with the Joker. They may have succeeded with the Joker. Who knows? Is Heath Ledger or is Joaquin Phoenix better than Jack Nicholson? We don't know. Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka? Well... Johnny Depp's tried, and I think he's failed. Now, Timothy Chalamet is going to take a stab at it. And after him, in about six or seven years, someone else is probably going to take a stab at it. Who knows? But it's interesting to find out, and we can just sit back and enjoy the ride and just talk about it. But anyways, that's all I have time for with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Truly a classic. It'll only be a matter of time till we see another one led by Timothy Chalamet. And who knows? It could supersede Gene Wilder's performance. You just never know these days. He could surprise you. He's a fantastic actor. And I can't wait to see him in June when that film comes out this winter. Anyway, please subscribe to me on Google, iTunes, and I'm also on Spotify. And please give us a follow on the social media, mainly on Instagram. That's Film Exploration with AH, all lowercase or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. 